God, uh, thanks for your word that uh, both encourages us and challenges us. Thanks for uh, what you're doing here at Trinity. That is an encouragement and a challenge to us as well. Pray that you would uh, just speak to us through your word this morning. Give us the things that we need to hear and help us to be open to what you want to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's a book by uh, a man named Russell Conwell, and the book is called Acres of Diamonds. I mean, Acres of Diamonds, who wouldn't want to be a part of that, right? And in the book, he tells a a crazy story. He tells a story of uh, an ancient man named Ali Hafed. And Ali Hafed, he was a rich man in what used to be known as Persia. And he owned a very large farm, orchards, gardens, grain fields. He was a wealthy and contented man. Well, one day, a wise man from the east came to Ali and told him all about diamonds and uh, how wealthy he would be if he owned a diamond mine. He had, the old man said, if you had just one diamond the size of your thumb, you could buy the whole county. And if you had a diamond mine, well, you could put your children on thrones through the influence of all of your wealth, right? Well, Ali Hafed, he heard all about diamonds, how much they're worth, And so he went to bed that night, a poor man, poor because he was so discontented. Craving a mine of diamonds, he he finally sold his farm so he could go and search for uh, these rare stones. And he traveled all over the world looking for a diamond mine. And at last, uh, when his money was all spent, he was in rags and and wretchedness and poverty. He was standing on the, the shore of the ocean And uh, the poor, afflicted man couldn't resist the awful temptation to just cast himself into the incoming tide. And as the the foaming crest washed over him, he was taken out to sea, never to be seen again. Well, one day, the man who purchased Ali Hafed's farm uh, was leading his camel through the garden, and the camel uh, bent down into the brook to get a drink, and the man noticed there was something uh, shimmering under the water in the sand. And he He pulled out a stone that reflected all the hues of the rainbow. The man had discovered the diamond mine of Golconda, one of the most magnificent mines in all of history. This is the the mine that produced some of the most famous diamonds in the world. The the Regent Diamond sits in the Louvre Museum in Paris. The 300-carat Orloff Diamond, uh, the Hope Diamond, which lives at the Smithsonian Museum in Washington, D.C., They were all right there. And had Ali Hafed just remained content and dug in his own garden, uh, he would have had acres of diamonds. Well, today we're going to look at what might be the most famous passage in the book of Philippians. The whole book is full of what we might call like uh, coffee cup verses, verses that have stirred the hearts of people so much over the years that they are on coffee cups or t-shirts or or bumper stickers. And and today we're going to talk about what might be the most well-known of all. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Uh, my oldest daughter, she's uh, away at college. Uh, she's home this morning, but uh, off to school. And as part of that journey, she's been looking for a new church, right? And uh, visiting a bunch of different churches. And a few weeks ago, she was telling me about a church she went to. And she was really excited because the pastor was preaching on this passage, Philippians 4, and, and this verse, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And, and she told me that partway through the sermon, she was kind of disappointed because the pastor just kept talking about the verse in connection to money, 
And I just laughed. I said, you should go back to that church because that guy knows what he's talking about, you know. Uh, it's ultimately, it's a passage that doesn't necessarily mean all the things that we hope it means, but it does have a lot to teach us about where real joy can be found. And as we draw our series, Choose Joy, to a close today, uh, throughout the series we've been talking about this book of Philippians. It's Paul's letter to the church at Philippi and and Philippi was a city in what's now Greece, what was known at the time as Macedonia. And uh, Paul's not with them. That's why he's writing this letter. He's not with them, of course, because he's in prison, uh, most likely in Rome, although there is some debate about exactly where he is. But, uh, but he's not able to be with them because he's in prison and he's in just really hard circumstances. But what's so fascinating about the letter is that he's clearly not broken by these circumstances. He's overflowing with joy and hope. He wants to make sure that the Philippian church knows that, that he's not, uh, not in trouble in the way that they maybe think. He goes out of his way to highlight how important it is to choose joy, even in these really dark circumstances. And so as we worked our way through Philippians, we talked a lot about Paul and his situation, what an inspiration it is that he could say and think and do all these things, even facing some really difficult circumstance. But one thing we haven't talked about is the Philippian church itself, because they had their own hardships and challenges. There's a reason that Paul's writing these things to them. Uh, the church in Philippi had, had plenty of their own struggles. And uh, Philippi was a Roman colony in ancient Rome and uh, the home of a lot of retired soldiers. And uh, as such, there's like a real strong sense of national pride and patriotism in Philippi, kind of a big part of the culture there. And so here's Paul comes to town, and he's announcing that there's a new king, King Jesus, and, and uh, he met with a lot of resistance. I mean, all these people had kind of given their whole lives to, to proclaiming Caesar as the one true king, and now here comes this guy talking about a new king, and it just it was very difficult to make uh, a progress with the gospel, and the response was really trying to just squelch what seemed like a, a rebellion, this, this King Jesus person, seemed very unpatriotic, right? Well, even after Paul leaves Philippi, the church there still had a lot of opposition. They were constantly facing persecution from the community. And so Paul, he knew that when, when the news got back to them that he was in prison, that they would be worried not only for him, but probably worried for themselves as well. Paul didn't want that. He didn't want them to worry. And so he, he writes this letter in part to help them understand how to choose joy. And, and the Bible gives us some other interesting details about the church in Philippi. It turns out that persecution was not really their only challenge, that, that the church in Philippi was actually very, very poor as well. That's its own challenge apart from anything else, right? In, uh, in another one of Paul's letters in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul's talking to that church, the church in Corinth, and he's telling about a situation back in Jerusalem. There's a famine in Jerusalem, and the churches there are in real financial need. On top of that, they had uh, just a crippling amount of taxes that they had to pay. And so, so Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he's saying, hey, I want you to take up a collection so we can give it to the church in Jerusalem. And in order to kind of encourage them, spur them on, he talks about the churches in Macedonia. That's where Philippi is. And he says that those churches, like the one here in Philippi, they've already given to this collection in Jerusalem. And listen to what he says about them. He says, now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So, 
So Paul tells a couple of noteworthy things uh, about the Philippians. First, he says they were poor, very poor. But he also says they're rich in generosity. Their their joy overflowed in the form of generosity. And and verse 4 here seems to indicate that they they begged Paul to take their money. It's almost as if he said, no, 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 you guys are poor. You need to keep this money for yourselves. And they say, no, we take it. We want you to have it. Give it to the people who need it in Jerusalem. And so, so this church in Philippi, they got all their own challenges, and yet they're willing to choose joy and, and be generous even in the midst of their very own uh, poverty. So there's this church in Philippi, and they're poor, and here writing to them is Paul, and he's in a pretty tight spot right now because he's in prison, but the reality is Paul had grown up pretty privileged. I mean, he... Uh, he he trained to be a Pharisee, and he trained under one of the most famous Pharisees of all, so that would have really cost him quite a bit. So he had a fair bit of money as a young person, and, and uh, he became a Pharisee, and he was pretty good at it, so that, that would have earned him a fair bit more money. So he started off life pretty good shape, and he earned a little bit more money, so he's kind of had a life of privilege, financially speaking. And then here's this church that's really, really poor, and yet they both learned some key things about money and about contentment. They both found joy, even though they're coming at it from different directions. And as Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians, as he's wrapping things up, he introduces two ideas that really go hand in hand. And as we wrap up our series, Choose Joy, we want to look at just two more ways that we can find joy. And the two things that just go hand in hand, they're in Philippians 4, Uh, starting in verse 10, Philippians 4.10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you've been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So Paul introduces two ideas back to back here. In verse 10, he introduces this idea of giving. He says they've uh, renewed their concern for him. In other words, they've, they've given him money. Uh, they sent money to help Paul uh, meet his needs while he's in prison. We already read from Second Corinthians, they gave out of an overflow of their joy. And, and so he introduces this idea uh, of giving. And then in the next verse, verse 11, he introduces this idea of contentment. He says he's learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And these two ideas, they're back to back, they really go hand in hand. It may not seem like that at first, that giving away your money helps you get contentment, that they go hand in hand. And by the world standards, they really don't, don't seem to make sense, but, but they do. They go together. And for Paul, the common thread that really binds these two together, it, the, the ideas of giving and contentment, the common thread is joy. So let's explore what that looks like, uh, the joy of giving, first of all. Let's look further uh, down at the passage, Philippians 4, again, uh, starting at verse 15. Uh, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. So, so Paul commends them for their giving. He says they were the only church that gave to him in the early days of his ministry in the area there. And he says they gave to him over and over again as he traveled around starting churches. And when it comes to this idea of giving, uh, they're really just finding joy in the idea of showing love in a tangible way. I mean, ultimately, that's what, what giving does. It points to those things that we value the most. And for the Philippians, one of those things that they valued was partnership 
with Paul in spreading the gospel. In fact, way back at the beginning of the letter, back at the beginning of this series, Choose Joy, we talked about that. The fact that joy can be found in that kind of partnership. In chapter 1, Paul says he's, he's praying for the Philippians and he prays with joy because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And that idea of partnership is a key idea here because the, the joy that's found in giving is joy that really just comes from partnership, partnering with God. So we're not only, when we give, we're not only showing our own love, but we're showing God's love in a tangible way. Not just a, a feeling of love, but something tangible that demonstrates that feeling. Not just words about love, but something specific that, that really demonstrates that love in a helpful way. You know, a few minutes ago, we, we heard about the, the work the Dodds are doing on the other side of the globe. And when we give to Trinity, part of that money goes to support the Dodds, other missionaries, things like that. That's, that's one way that we show tangible love, not just to the Dodds, but, but to the people they're ministering to. We're partners in the gospel. There's joy to be found in that. And notice Paul says in verse 10, he says the Philippians have renewed their concern for him. So they had concern, they've had it for a long time, now they're able to show it in a tangible way by giving to him. That's a, a giving is just a way we demonstrate both our own love and God's love for others. It's that partnership. And because it's a partnership, that means that, that we get credit for doing God's work. I mean, uh, look at uh, verse 17. Paul says, hey, I'm sharing these things with you not because I want you to give more, but because I want to make sure you get the credit. They're doing God's work, but it's credited to them. They get credit even though God is ultimately the one behind the giving, you know, because God's the one who provides the money in the first place, and God's the one who spurs our hearts to give it away to somebody else. So when you get right down to it, God is the one who's responsible for any giving that we do, but, but we, because we partner with him, we get the credit. That's a pretty good system for us, right? So there's joy to be found in giving, but you can't really give on your own. Uh, you can't really give until you've learned some measure of trust in God. If you don't believe that God is going to take care of you, even when you give away your own resources, then you're not going to listen to him when he prompts you to give. Uh, you, you can't just give on your own. It has to be a partnership with God. Uh, uh, if you can't find some measure of contentment, then you'll never be able to give. That's why Paul puts these two ideas back to back. Look again at verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you've been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. See, there's joy to be found in giving, but it goes hand in hand with the joy that's found in contentment. So let's explore this idea of contentment and the joy that can be found there. Well, first of all, contentment is learned. Uh, he says that in verse 11, and then the very next verse, verse 12, he says it again. I know what it is to be in need, he says, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He's learned contentment. He didn't always have contentment, but because he's gone in his life with a lot of money and he's gone with very little, then he's learned contentment. Uh, maybe some of you can relate to that kind of a journey. Uh, John D. Rockefeller, the famous American billionaire, he's considered to be the richest American in history. And uh, he was once asked, well, how much money is enough? And his answer was, just a little bit more than you have, right? All of his riches, but he still hadn't learned contentment. 
Contentment, is, it's not natural. It doesn't come naturally to us. It has to be learned. And, and Paul has learned it. He's found joy no matter what his financial situation is. And that's how he can make this famous statement in verse 13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I mean, even though this statement has been co-opted by athletes and others, it's really a statement about contentment. You know, throughout Paul's career, he always had a fallback plan. If money was tight... Paul had a trade. He was uh, trained to be a tent maker, and at various points, he used that skill as a way to provide for himself or to provide for his ministry. But now, he's in prison. He can't earn money for himself. He has no choice but to trust God to provide his needs. He doesn't have that fallback plan, and so he's learned contentment, financially speaking. He's trusting God, and that's why he starts this section by putting these two ideas together, the, the giving of the Philippian church to him and his own contentment. He knew that God was going to provide for him. Now, he probably didn't expect that it was going to come from the poorest people that he knew, but that's how God works sometimes. And it's, it's telling to me that this verse, Philippians 4.13, this verse that, that shows up on uh, you know, Tim Tebow's eye black or Olympic athletes' tattoos or NFL players' cleats, whatever, you know, it, it's placed right before... Verse 14, these, these two verses go hand in hand. I can do everything through him, followed by, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Giving and contentment, they all go hand in hand. And just like contentment, giving has to be learned. Sometimes that's a hard lesson. The, the, the way to, to learn it is really to learn contentment. That's why they go hand in hand. You can't give without that measure of contentment. Uh, the New York Times recently had an article entitled, uh, How One Book Changed My Relationship with Money. Uh, it's not the book you might be thinking of. The person hadn't read Philippians. Uh, but the author of the article shares her story of having grown up in an immigrant family. Her parents are from the Dominican Republic, and they were always scraping by. She says, uh, she talks about eating almost every night. They ate a big pot of rice and beans, not because they loved rice and beans so much, because that's all they could afford. And she says uh, she was an adult before she learned that the, the burned bits of rice from the bottom of the pan, they weren't a delicacy, but only poor people ate them out of necessity. You know, that's, she thought that they were just like a treat, you know. And uh, so as an adult, she struggled with uh, this lack of contentment. She earned a pretty good living for herself, but then she spent a lot of money on herself kind of chasing after contentment. And so she heard about this book that was supposed to help make you rich. She went right for it. Well, what she learned instead was not how to get rich, but what she learned was how to get content. Uh, not just working for money, but working for something meaningful, uh, utilizing your resources for a larger purpose. That's what she learned. She learned, ultimately, contentment. Now, she could have probably saved herself a lot of time if she just read Proverbs 30. It says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much. And disown you and say, who's the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of the Lord, right? Contentment, it, it's, it's learned. It doesn't come to us naturally. Like joy, it has to be learned. And one of the things we offer here at Trinity is Financial Peace University. It's a class we've offered for several years now, and it's just so helpful to so many people. It, it teaches just foundational financial principles to help us learn how to manage our resources better. And really... One of the things that it teaches more than anything is just contentment. 
uh, you kind of learn that as you go through the, the materials. And at the beginning of each FPU class, we take a, a snapshot of, of where people are at financially. And uh, this most recent class, it's going on right now, it's about halfway through. And uh, this, this most recent class started with over $290,000 of debt. Now, that's not counting mortgage, that's just consumer debt, okay? That doesn't sound like a, a group of people that have found a lot of contentment, you know what I mean? Uh, but about halfway through the class, they're not done yet, halfway through the class, they've already cut up uh, 12 credit cards. That's pretty good, and they're, they're working the system, saving some money and eliminating debt, so I'm anxious to see what the final snapshot is. But that's huge. Really, what they're learning is contentment. And that's, that's what they're in the process of learning, you know, beyond just the basic financial principles. So contentment, it has to be learned. And which begs the question, really, okay, how do you learn it? And then the answer comes right here in this very famous verse, verse 13. Look at it again. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. True contentment is really only learned when we find our satisfaction in Christ. Through him, not through money, not through stuff. We've got some friends who are missionaries for a time, so they lived off the giving of other people, lived off you know, financial support of churches. And so it was always frustrating to them when they would have unexpected expenses. You know, I mean, somebody gives to them to support their ministry, and then they get a flat tire, and they've got to buy a new set of tires or whatever. You know? That was very frustrating to them. And, and they developed a phrase, though, that really was helpful to them and, frankly, has been helpful in our own family as well. Whenever they would have these unexpected things that they needed to spend money on but they didn't really want to spend money on it, instead of getting frustrated, they would just say, well, God, it's your money. And if you want to spend it on new tires, that's your business. You know, they, they learned contentment. They just trusted God with their finances. Uh, but the truth is that that kind of contentment, it really goes beyond just money. Uh, giving money, that's the clearest measure of our contentment, for sure. It's kind of a good barometer of where our hearts are at, and that's why I think Jesus talks about money more than he talks about prayer, more than he talks about faith, relationships, heaven and hell. I mean, it's, it's a big deal for Jesus. And, and yet contentment really bleeds into every area of our lives. We're never going to find that contentment until we find satisfaction in Christ. Because every day we're confronted by things we need and things we want. And if we're not careful, a lot of the wants end up becoming needs in our mind, right? Even, even good things, gifts that God gives us to enjoy, become dangerous when we start calling them needs instead of wants. Because when we start calling them needs, we start telling ourselves we can't live without them or we must have them, or we have a right to demand them. And we end up being constantly unsatisfied because God doesn't deliver all the things we need. Well, the way to learn contentment is to find satisfaction in Christ. He's given us everything we need now and for the future. He's secured for us everything that we truly need. And when we find satisfaction in him, then really two things become true. First of all, we become convinced that God will give us the strength that we need to face whatever comes our way. We can do anything through him who gives us that strength. And secondly, we believe, we really believe, that God is going to meet all of our true needs. When we find satisfaction in Christ, then our hearts are free to stop chasing after all our wants and to give ourselves to the joy that comes from just being satisfied in Christ. Satisfaction in Christ, that's how we learn the joy that comes from contentment. And learning contentment gives us the joy 
that comes from giving. When we have contentment, then we can trust God even when we give away things that we have, right? Because we know that God's going to take care of us. So there's joy to be found in giving, and there's joy to be found in contentment. The things go hand in hand, and not just financial contentment, not just financial giving, but, but giving of our whole selves, because Christ gives us contentment for our whole selves. As we wrap up this message and really wrap up the whole series, I just want to leave us with a quote that I think summarizes a lot of the things we've talked about. And this is a quote that comes from uh, Paul Tripp. He's a pastor and author. And just listen to the encouragement that he offers. He says, God can do for you what no one else can do. He has power that no one else possesses. He is able and willing to meet you in your moments of need, even when that need is self-inflicted. He will never mock your weakness. He will not stand idly by and sarcastically say, I told you so. He finds no joy in your suffering. He is full of compassion. He abounds in mercy. He will never walk away disgusted. He will never use your weakness against you. He has no favorites and he shows no partiality. He never grows tired. He never becomes impatient. He will never quit because he's had enough. He will never refuse to give you what he's promised because you've messed up so badly. He's just as faithful to all of his promises on your very worst day as he is on your very best day. He doesn't ask you to earn his compassion or or to do things to gain his mercy. He knows how weak and fickle your heart is, and yet he continues to move towards you with unrelenting and empowering grace. He delights in meeting your needs. He finds joy in bringing peace to your hearts. He really is everything you need. Why would you run anywhere else in your time of need or trouble? Let's pray. God, we want to be satisfied in you. We know you have given us everything we need for life, for godliness, for a life that is uh, sold out to you. We want to be finding our satisfaction in you. And, and Lord, we ask that you forgive us for the times when we chase after things that are just a, a cheap uh, substitute for you. And we chase after things that, uh, that just aren't satisfying. And pray that you would give us the joy that comes from being content in you, being satisfied. And out of that, Lord, we know that the next step is to give us the joy that comes from giving, giving our whole selves to you, serving, giving financially of ourselves. Give us opportunities to put these things into practice, even this week, Lord, as we choose the joy that comes from knowing you and living for you, finding our purpose in you alone, God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.